very interesting chapter in the Word of God for a number of reasons. We're going to discuss one of those reasons this morning. It won't be the main point of the lesson, but it'll lead into the main point of the lesson. So we'll start Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them. Adam and Eve, not Adam and not Adam and Steve. Male and female. Anyone with half a brain is not confused by that. I'm glad God decided to do that at the beginning and hasn't changed his mind since. It's a blessing. You'll come to find that out later on in life, perhaps. I hope you do. <clears throat> Male and female created. But guys, you better learn how to take a shower. <laughs> anyway. Male and female created he them and blessed them. Isn't God good? He blessed them and called their name Adam. That's because these two shall be one flesh. He didn't call their name Eve. Has to be somebody in charge. Okay? God set up some order in society, in the church, and in the home. Not because women are inferior. Not because men are superior. They're equal before God. But there's different roles, assignments, duties, responsibilities given by God. Because he knows what's best. And society is trying to prove him wrong and, and failing miserably in doing so. He called their name Adam. It, that has nothing to do with their Sunday school lesson, but we're reading the verse. In the day when they were created, not in the day that they evolved, not in the day that they went from apes to humans. God made everything, and it brings forth after its kind. And Adam lived, verse 3, 130 years, 130 years. Now, that's nothing compared to how long he lived, but just think about that for a second. Adam lived to be... 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. But look at this, verse 4. In the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. And then the Bible has a little math in verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And all of the all of the names, all of the lives, the entire genealogical record in Genesis 5 ends the same way and he died. When we compare that to Matthew chapter 1, which is the generations not of Adam but the generations of Jesus Christ, you read the entire list of names and guess what is absent? And he died. There's a great spiritual application or spiritual lesson in Adam, Genesis 5, all die. But in Christ, Matthew 1, all are made alive. That's from 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 22, somewhere around there. In Adam all die. In Christ shall all be made alive. That's another interesting point from Genesis 5, but not even the point that leads us into the main point of the lesson this morning. What I want to talk about is how old Adam lived to be. 130 years, he has a son named Seth, then 800 more years of life. And in that 800 years, Seth probably had a lot of siblings. Because Adam and Eve, they had sons and daughters. It answers a great Bible question. Not a great Bible question. A question often asked by skeptics. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, the only available source 
You married a sister. Now we think of that as gross. And that is proper to think of that as gross. Because we are 6,000, at least 6,000 years removed from this event. But at that time, there was no, <clears throat> there was not a lot of variety in the gene pool anyway. Okay, we start out with one man and one woman. Okay, and there was no prohibition against it at this time, obviously. Now, it's not like believing in evolution solves that problem. Never mind the impossibility of a single cell getting more and more complex and changing species, which has never been observed in the history of the world, never been demonstrated in a scientific lab. Never mind the impossibility of that. You have to have that taking place simultaneously at the same place at the same time in two different genders somehow in order for evolution to work. Have you ever thought about that? What if the first thing began to be an ape or turned into a human? Guess what? That would be the only thing that did that unless there was a boy one and a girl one at the same place at the same time and they knew what to do to perpetuate the species. Evolution makes it much more difficult than the Bible. The Bible told Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And he made a man and a woman. This, this was not supposed to be in the lesson, but it's in Genesis 5. You ever thought about that? People make fun of how unscientific creation is. Think of how impossible evolution is. Have you ever thought about the evolution of gender? And how that came about and how that, how that worked. It's, it's, it's just, it's laughable. Let's move on. 930 Years. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that Adam really lived 130 years, begat Seth, and then really lived for 800 more years and died when he was 930? Now, it's not just Adam. Not just Adam. Look at his son Seth, verse number 8. All the days of Seth were 912 years. Good morning, Essence. Good morning, Istvan. 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. And all the days of Enos, that Seth's son, were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14, Kainan, and all the days of Kainan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17, and all the days of Mahalaleel were 895 years. Young. So young. He died so young. 895, and he died. Jared, verse number 20, all his days were 962 years. And he died. Enoch, verses 23 and 24, he's translated. He was not, for God took him at the ripe young age of 365. Yeah, it is, isn't it? 360 and five years. Careful trying to correct the Sunday school teacher here in the back row. All right? It usually works rather well for her, actually. But not this time. Yes! <laughs> Enoch was 365, verse 23. Now, he lived about a third of the time of all the others, but like four times longer than anybody we know. It's crazy. Yes, Elise? What's that? He probably would have looked good. I'm thinking so. The millennial kingdom in the Bible, and, and this is in the book of Isaiah somewhere, the millennial kingdom, the child shall die at 100 years old. At 100 
you're not considered an old person. You're considered a youth. Like the youth pastor is pastoring people in their hundreds. Like you go into the young adult class maybe in your 300s. It's crazy. Now, think about this. If Adam lived to be 930 years old, you know what that meant? It meant that he lived long enough that he could have met Lamech, who was the father of Noah. Adam almost lived long enough to be able to see his, let's count the generations, son, grandson, great, 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 great. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. He lived to see his great, 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 great grandson, Lamech, born. If he could have held on just a little bit longer, he could have seen the birth of Noah. Now, 930 years. That means if Adam were to die in 2018, he would have been born in the year 1088. The middle of the Dark Ages. It's long enough ago for us to really not remember what was going on in history. Okay, 1088. <clears throat> Columbus had not sailed the ocean blue. He wouldn't do so till 1492. Okay, almost 500 years before Columbus. This is when Leif Erikson was sailing over to Vinland on his Viking cruisers. Guess what the girls have been studying in history class? <clears throat> Discovery of America. Okay, now. 930 years, 912 years, 905 years, 910 years, 895, 962, 365, 967. He gets the prize for the oldest, Methuselah, 777. I believe that. I believe that. I think God knows what he's talking about. I don't have any reason to doubt it. But you understand, people who don't believe the Bible. When they read that, or if they read that, more than likely when they hear about that, because they're not reading it for themselves. When somebody tells them, they're going to use that to make fun of the Bible. But what's even worse than that is people who like the Bible but don't want to be laughed at. And so they try to come up with some way to explain it. And here's, here's one of the ways. They'll say, in Genesis 5, year actually doesn't mean year. What year means... Is a month. So when Adam lived to be 930, let's do some quick math because I forgot to do it in my notes. 930 divided by 12, he really just lived to be 77 and a half years old. Because every year is actually just a month. There's a little problem with that interpretation. Turn with me to verse number 15, or look at verse number 15, and how Leo lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. Okay, let's do some basic math. 65 divided by 12. He became a dad when he was five years old. That's more difficult to believe to me than Adam living to be 930. That's embarrassing. That's laughable. So trying to, trying to explain away the scoffer's opposition to the word of God only makes it worse. If you're trying to avoid the miraculous by making the months, or the years months, you're failing miserably, okay? Again, that's not the point we want to make, but it's, the, it's working toward the point we want to make. I do want to mention one of the possible explanations for this. No one knows how they lived to be that long exactly because guess what? Nobody alive today was there then. 
and nobody yet has invented something other than God that can take you back in time to see and observe and study these things. But there are some creation scientists who believe that the atmospheric conditions on the earth were different at that time, and there's evidence to suggest such. They didn't just make it up. There, there are things they have found that indicate that the, 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 con- the oxygen content of the air was much stronger. The, the, the atmospheric pressure was drastically different. And those things would account for longer lifespans, better health, easier healing, and so forth. Now, let me, <clears throat> let me show you something in the Bible that, that seems to indicate something similar. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 6. Genesis chapter 1. Verse number 6. Quickly, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. God called the firmament heaven in the evening, morning, or the second night. What is this firmament that God creates on day number 2 and calls heaven? Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, for years. Talking about day number four, the sun, the moon, and stars, they, they are in the firmament. Look at verse number 20. The Bible says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly on the moving creatures of that life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So what is the firmament God made on day two? It's the place where we see the sun, moon, and stars. It's the place where the birds fly. Here's what God said about that firmament. There was water underneath it. That would be rivers, oceans, lakes, and seas. And then there was water above it. Did you see that when we read verses 6, 7, and 8? There was water underneath the firmament where the birds are flying. Water underneath it. We got that. There was water above the firmament. Now, it is, it is possible what that firmament is referring to is some layer of water or ice just underneath the third heaven, but it is also possible that there was that the earth was enveloped in some kind of canopy of water. And I'll get to your question in just a second. Look at Genesis chapter six and verse number seven. I think no, Genesis seven, verse number eleven. Genesis seven and verse eleven. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, seventeenth day of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were. Open So possibly there was this canopy of water above the atmosphere and this could have been a source of all the water that came down in the flood of Noah's day. Now, if the earth were enveloped in some sort of canopy, in some sort of layer of water above the sky where the birds are flying, that would explain some different conditions on the earth that would account for these elongated lifespans of mankind prior to the flood. And when we read further in the book of Genesis, those lifespans, as soon as the flood is over, they begin to drop off, drop off drastically. We won't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 11, Shem, the son of Noah, he lived to be 702. His son Arphaxad, 438. His son Selah, 433. His son Eber, 464. It drops drastically again. His son Peleg, 239. His son Ryu, Ryu, 239. His son Sirah, 230. His son Nahor, 148. His son Terah, 205. Then his son Abraham, 175. So we see how something is changing in the lifespans 
are coming down. This is after the flood. Elise, you had a question? That would be part of the water under the firmament? It could be. That could be. That's also where the birds are flying in the clouds. And it, was, it said it was under. But <clears throat> same point. Now, there are two things I want to point out about that. And then I want to try to get to the main point of the lesson and make, some, make a devotional application. Have you ever heard anybody ask the question, well, if the Bible is true, and if God created the heaven and the earth in six days, like the Bible says he did, then where did the dinosaurs come from? That, and that's a fair question because there are creatures that do appear in the fossil record that do not appear, at least in most places most times, on earth today, right? They dig up these these, these large bones of these large animals. And none of us have seen those except for the bones or the reproductions they make from the bones, right? So, how do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? Genesis 5 helps us answer that. Genesis, Job 40 and 41 is also a good description. They fit in the Bible right there. You can read it later on today. Here's what I'm saying. A... Did you know that reptiles never stop growing? Kind of like people's noses and ears. Okay, You are going to stop growing this way at some point. You will grow this way all your life. You get old and your ears are probably going to get bigger. And guys, hairier. It's embarrassing. And anyway, reptiles, all of them, they never stop growing. Growing. Now think about this. Let's multiply lifespans by a thousand percent. Because Adam, 930. Somebody, somebody's really old today. No offense. If they're 93 years old, a thousand percent is Adam's lifespan. 930 years. Multiply the lifespan of a reptile who never stops growing by a thousand. And you might come up with some very large reptiles. Now to help explain what we find and dig up from the ground. Also, it is typically taught, you've probably heard this, that the civilization at this point in history, if you go back 6,000 years, civilization was very, very primitive. And that teaching leads into or fits well with the theory of evolution, that man is getting better and stronger and smarter. and fat. We are advancing as a civilization because we started very primitive, and look at where we are today with all of our technological advances and so forth. But there is a huge body of evidence that gets buried. It doesn't get discussed. There is a large body of evidence that suggests that civilization at this point in time was actually very advanced. And that only makes sense because if you're living to be 900 years, think about all that you could learn. And if all the people around you are living 900 years, think of all the information sharing that could take place. They, you go to school till you're about, I don't know, 22. If, if you decide you really like it, maybe till you're about 30. Imagine if you stayed in school till you were 300. <laughs> don't think about it too hard. I don't want you to get depressed. But think about all the learning that could take place, all the advancement that could take place, how much you could do in your life in that amount of time. Okay? Now, ready to move a little closer to our point. Leave Genesis. Come to 2 Peter 3. 
2 Peter chapter 3. Adam lived to be 930 years old. That is hard to comprehend. It's hard to wrap your mind around. That is incredible to us. But 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> look at verse number 8. Then we're going to go back to the book of Psalms. 2 Peter 3 verse 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Here's what I want to say about that. How long Adam lived, how long all these guys in Genesis 5 were on the earth, it's incredible to us, but guess what? It is not incredible to the God who created the heaven and the earth. It is not incredible to the God who wrote the Bible. It is nothing to the God that we claim to know and love and serve. To him, it's no big deal because the Bible says he dwells in eternity. He dwells outside of time. To him, there's really not much difference. A day, a thousand years. So what? That is difficult for us to comprehend. It seems so unfathomable to us because we have an earthly perspective, a temporal perspective. We are living within the confines of time. We are subject to seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades and centuries and all those things. And, and it seems like such a long time. But the God who lives above and outside of all that, he looks down and Adam lived me 9 30 years, no big deal. Because we're comparing the moments we live to a lifetime. We're comparing our lifetime to Adam's lifetime. But when you step way back and compare 900 years to forever, 900 years is absolutely nothing. Okay? And it's important for us to think about this from time to time. And I want to show you from the Bible why it is. Come to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 and verse number 10. Psalm 90 and verse number 10. 900 years compared to 15. It's crazy long. 900 years compared to eternity. I mean, it's, it's such a small speck. You can't even see it. Try to make a timeline of eternity and then put 900 years on it. Can't do it. Okay, Psalm 90, verse number 10. The Bible says this. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, you're really doing great if you make it to 80. My problem with 80 years old is if I make it to 80, my body might be around. I really doubt my mind will still be there. It's half gone now, and I'm 33. That means I might make it to 66. Somewhat sane. Okay? If, if my mind is gone, I'd just rather let my body go to heaven. Anyway, the days of our years are three score years and ten. If by reason of strength be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. You didn't know that song was in the Bible, did you? Okay? Verse number 11. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number... Our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That'd be a great verse to memorize. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 
from the Bible this morning, there is wisdom to be gained from acknowledging the brevity of life. We do not often think about it, but I want us to take some time to think about it. At least this morning, we are not promised tomorrow. Even if we do live tomorrow, and the day after that, and the month after that, and the year after that, and even if we live for a long time down here on the earth, even if we grow up to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that's still not a very long time when we consider it in the big picture. And the Bible says we need to learn to number our days because that will make us wise. There's a lot of verses in the Bible. We don't have time to look at all of them this morning. There's a lot of verses in the Bible on just how short this life is. And I want to focus on why it's important for us to stop and to think about that. Psalm 39, verse number 4. Psalm 39 and verse number 4. Look there with me quickly. Psalm 39 and verse 4 says, Lord, make me to know mine end. Now, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I know I'm going to die. And I know that however long my life is down here, it's not very long in, in the perspective of eternity. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know. Here's something to be gained by acknowledging the brevity of life. That I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. You know what a handbreadth is? From here to here. It's not very long. It's a fairly short measure. Thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. And mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Stop a minute. Think about this. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely there it is quiet and in vain. He heaped up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. When we acknowledge the brevity of our life, the, the brief duration of our own existence, when we prepare, when we compare our temporal lives to the eternity in which God dwells, it helps us remember how frail this life is. And how frail we are. And how vain it is to live for this life only. When we compare ourselves to eternity, it focuses our thoughts on the God who lives there. And it helps us remember something we need to be reminded of. And it is that we are nothing. It helps us remember how frail and small and insignificant we really are. Because we tend to be impressed with ourselves. We tend not to think of ourselves as small and insignificant as nothing. We tend to think of ourselves as great and mighty and important. Like the whole universe revolving around us, important. But that's not a good way for us to think. And one of the ways we can direct our, our thoughts and our minds away from that... So I think about, wow, I really don't have very long down here. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, among other places, all flesh is grass. And the glory of it, as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, the flower faith. Grass doesn't last long. Either Delaney's going to come and cut it, or Elijah's going to weed eat it, or the sun is going to burn it, and it's going to die. That's your life. Either Delaney's going to cut you, or Elijah's going to whack you, or God is going to burn you. Okay? 
Your life is like grass. Your life is like a vapor. Your life is like a flower. It is fading. Something we need to be reminded of. It's not part of our natural thought processes. We have to, we have to purposely think about this. Now, turn with me to Psalm 144. I'm running out of time fast. Psalm 144 and verse number 4. Even Adam's life, in, in light of eternity, 130 years. It's, it's just like grass. It grew. It got cut. It was dead. Psalm 144, verse number 4. Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. In many places the Bible calls your life a shadow. Look at Psalm 89, verse 47. But Psalm 144, 4 said your days are like vanity. Psalm 89, verse 47. Psalm 89, verse 47. Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? Here's the next point. Not only do we realize how frail and insignificant we are, if we compare our life and how short it is to how long eternity is, we begin to realize how stupid it is to invest in things that will not last past this lifetime. You understand what I'm saying? If this life lasts 70 years, but eternity lasts Forever, Why would I live for the 70 years instead of living for eternity? Acknowledging the brevity of life will help us to set our affection on things above, Colossians 3. It'll help us lay up treasure in heaven, Matthew 6. It'll help us to value things by what they will gain in eternity. It will help us have an eternal perspective. It will help us to live for the judgment seat of Christ, not for the pleasure of of the moment, it will help us not waste this life on things that will only matter now. The majority of people in this world, what they're striving for, what they're working for, what they're thinking about, what they're investing in, what they're giving their time and their attention and their affection to, are only things that will stop mattering the moment they die. And will not go on from there, but as Christians, as children of God, as people who have the Word of God, we have an understanding that we can invest our lives and our time and our thoughts and our affections in things that will be around long after this brief life is over. And if we think about these things and if we ponder eternity to help us realize, I am a fool to live for now and not to live for then. Because eternity is a lot, long, a lot longer than this life. Right? And the things that I do for Jesus Christ and my service rendered to Jesus Christ, the Bible says I will be rewarded for that and I will carry those rewards into eternity. I won't take championship trophies. I won't take millions of dollars if I could make them somehow. I won't take all the friends that I had on Facebook. The only thing I can take into eternity is what I do for Jesus. Everything I do for me is going to be gone the moment I breathe my last breath. So let's focus not on temporal things, but on eternal things. Let's pour our lives and our hearts, not into, not into things that are only going to last as long as this life lasts, but what is going to last as long as eternity lasts, okay? James chapter 4, one last point. James chapter 4, verse number 14. Come here with this verse. Look at the conclusion to it. James 4, verse 14. The Bible says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, 
For what is your life? It is even a vapor. That's hard to illustrate in Florida because it doesn't often get cold enough for you to see your breath. But travel to North Carolina in the winter and go outside and breathe, and you can see it. Which is a lot better than smelling it, but you can see it. All right? And that, that vapor, it's there, then it's gone. Oh, wow, cool. But you don't get to watch it long. Your life is like that. It's a vapor. It appears for a, a little time and vanishes away. You're born. Oh, there you're dead. It's your life. What is your life? It's a vapor. Appears for a little time, vanishes away. But, but the thought continues in the next verses. For that you ought to say, Lord, will we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, because your life is just a vapor, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Here's the point. If we know something that's the right thing to do, we need to do it now because this might be the only chance we have. If you know that it's the right thing to do to devote your life to the cause of Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? All you have is a vapor. It's not something that you need to put off. If you know it would be the right thing to do to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, to to saturate my soul with the Word of God, to to have a good prayer life, to be a witness for the Lord, to, to do something to be a blessing to somebody else, to get serious about laying up treasure in heaven, what are you waiting on? Why would you put that off? All you've got is a to live. There's no reason to procrastinate giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. All you have is a vapor. Because of that, if you know to do good and you don't do it, if you say maybe tomorrow, if you push it off to the future, the Bible says that's a sinful decision. It's a bad way to live your life. And so what I want to encourage you with this morning is, is the things that you know are right, but you just haven't chosen to go there yet. Stop waiting. Do it now. Consider how short this life is. And get serious now about making your life count for eternity. Adam lived to be 930 years. But you know at the end of 930 years, if you lived to be 930 years, you step into eternity the next day, you know what you would wish the next day? That you would have invested all 930 of those years in doing something for the Lord. Let's not die and immediately be full of regret. Let's not get in the judgment seat of Christ and watch our entire lives just go up in smoke with nothing to show for it. Think about how long eternity is. Think about how short life is. Compare yourself to God and and realize how insignificant you are. Compare your life to eternity and realize it's a foolish thing to invest only in this life. And then stop putting off whatever you know are the right things to do. That's the the application somehow I got to from Genesis chapter 5. And how long those guys lived. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the good attention you were this morning. Thank you for the truth we find in your word. Help these things to be impressed upon our hearts. God helps not put off doing the right things. We love you. We thank you. Bless our time in the church house that we're about to enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen.